0: Welcome to You Can't Kill Me, every Slipknot song one by one. We are Chris Nee and Dave Musson, and this is one of our extra special bonus episodes in which we talk about Slipknot with the people who make the music we love. So we are over the moon to be joined today by another of our absolute favourites. It's Dan from Conjurer.
1: Hiya, how you doing?
0: (laughs) Hello, thank you for taking the time, Dan. Very nice to speak to you. Nice to speak to you too. Let's get right to it. Tell us about your relationship on a personal fan level with slipknot
1: god i'm in that case i'm taking you back to when i was like six or seven <laughs> um i remember god uh, so in my house we've got like uh there's like my bedroom my sister's bedroom a parent's bedroom there's a side room that we called the computer room and it was just my dad's always been a big gamer and he just had this computer in there and this big uh well, essentially bookshelf full of uh, PC games and all his records and stuff like that. And first thing is my dad uh, kind of introduced me to like gaming and stuff when I was really, really young, like three or four years old, sat on the computer playing like kids' games and stuff. And when I kind of got old enough and was interested in all the fighting and killing games he was playing, um, he would always have, what was it, Winamp media player on the computer, and he'd sit and listen to music uh, through that. And I remember one day playing some game and uh, Sick by Slipknot came on, and it was just like, I mean, I I must have been six or seven, as I say, and it was like the most violent thing I'd ever heard, and immediately was just like, this is sick, pun intended. (laughs) And, uh, yeah, I just... I was far too young to know how to, like, find out about bands and stuff. But um, over the years, because Slipknot was like, almost like a, a a code word amongst, like, the more musically inclined kids in my school, it was always like, oh, have you heard of that band with the masks and all that kind of stuff? And even at one point, I was at a family gathering, my uncle was like, oh, have you heard of that band who wear all the masks? And I'm pretty sure my parents were like, oh, don't tell them about them because... There was all the, there was like quite a panic around Slipknot at first, wasn't there? And uh, yeah, just eventually over the years, um, my dad would introduce me to like MTV and Kerrang TV and SCUS and all that. And I would pick up on all the singles and stuff. Like I remember seeing the My Plague video that had like Resident Evil clips in it and it was always like, yeah, this is cool. I like this band, but was far too young to be buying CDs and stuff. Um, So all I had was those videos whenever they would come on telly and whatever random songs are in Winamp whenever my dad was playing games and stuff. So they were... That kind of mystery that surrounded Slipknot was really intense for me because it was like, how do I find out about them? I genuinely thought they were just like nine serial killers or something. But, uh, yeah, just eventually, well, it was when Volume 3 came out, I, when I was started to get, like, pocket money and stuff. So that was the first album I bought, and obviously Duality just blew up. Like, was just the biggest song in the world at that point, and that's kind of been it. That was, like, the moment that I was hooked on them, and it was like, right, yeah, I'm a Slipknot fan now.
0: Would you have had a chance to listen to either of the previous albums in full before buying Volume 3?
1: No, because my, as I say, my dad would like, he would only have whatever songs were on Winamp. So there was, Sick was in there. Um, Pretty sure he was only really getting exposed to Slipknot through music video channels as well. So he would kind of just download... Uh, left behind and wait and bleed and stuff like that so i mean my dad didn't buy any albums from them or anything so yeah there wasn't a massive exposure for either of us um so yeah volume three was the first one that was i was ever like i knew front to back and i didn't really go back to self-titled at iowa until i was in like secondary school i must have uh i'm pretty sure i remember going to like a pre-owned cd shop and i was such a dick actually my mate wanted to buy iowa and i was still like loving volume three so i just wasn't particularly interested and he went to go and buy it and (laughs) to appear the the credible music fan that i believe i am i found it first because he was like rapidly searching the 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 cd trays for it i found it first and i bought it instead and he was like dude i wanted to buy that i'm sorry mate you snooze you lose (laughs) so that's how i got a hold of iowa and self-titled must have been the last one i bought i I couldn't tell you what age because when i got to secondary school it was just a big musical explosion you know you get to secondary school and it's like right i'm the music guy my deal is music so it i just listened to anything and everything i could
0: Volume three is quite an introduction. So, what what was the your feeling as a music fan actually sitting down and giving that a full listen? Because it's quite it's got quite a wide scope that record compared to the first two.
1: Yeah, yeah it was. It just blew my mind. Like even today, you think of how Prelude three point like it's an intro, but it's a song on its own, and it's like really odd. Like you think of some of the drum patterns Joey's doing and like, the guitar tones and that weird wow noise at the beginning. It's like a strange, uh, it's like a flange effect or something. And it just, it was so different to, it was such a far cry from, like, people equal shit. And it just, I don't know, there was, self-titled and stuff was creepy, but it was, like, kind of serial killer creepy, whereas volume three felt a bit more, like, mental patient creepy hmm. I, don't, I don't know if that's the most progressive term to use but like yeah it just because it was so much more whispery and like even things like in opium of the people that weird but no 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 but but it was just like what are these guys doing like it it felt a bit more just strange it wasn't straight up you know riffs, blast beats, they were trying all sorts of different stuff like virus of life, scared the hell out of me when i first heard it it's so ugh, still gives me the creeps. So what what sort of influence
2: if any did slipknot have on you as you started to become a musician and started to play then? Were, were they were they particularly influential on you when you started picking up a guitar?
1: Not right away uh, to be honest, like because when i started uh i mean i was bought a guitar for christmas when i was like seven i didn't really start seriously playing until around nine ten and Mm. at that point like it was all about stuff like the darkness for me and it wasn't really until maybe i was 14 15 just after like getting into slipknot and all that that the other bands I was listening to at the time was stuff like Avenged Sevenfold and Trivium. I much, uh, and Lamb of God as well. I much, I was much more into that kind of thing. Slipknot was really cool, but it, that there was still something like mysterious and almost untouchable about them. Like you, there's still songs on like volume three and stuff where both guitars are doing completely different things. It was just like, it wasn't as easy to latch onto. Whereas stuff like Trivium for the most part it's the guitars are all kind of doubled up and then one does a solo and stuff like 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 to Flies was a hell of a lot easier to play than something like yeah. Opium of the People or The Nameless or something like it was Slipknot remained this almost they were Put on, a, I put them on a pedestal, like an extreme metal pedestal kind of thing. And I was like, right, well, Trivium's a bit more my speed now. And honestly, yeah, it's, it's kind of strange. Like they've, they've always been prevalent, but they were, weren't necessarily a huge influence. Because almost in the same way, like, you know how people don't really try and emulate Tool because there's just no point you will immediately get called out okay that sounds like Tool. not were very much the same whereas bands like Avenged and Trivium there were a lot more bands that kind of sounded similar and Bullet For My Valentine as well so it was like it was a lot easier to kind of jump on that bandwagon I guess.
2: And, and what about moving a bit further down the line and, and- Conjurer like what about Slipknot's influence on Conjurer because it's not it's not a sound that you necessarily hear loads of in your music but I I wouldn't be surprised at all if there is something hiding in there somewhere is that is that fair or again is it one of those one of those things like with your own playing that they're just they're just there and but they're not really directly influencing the music you're writing in the band
1: I'd say it's definitely there because for one thing there's there's not many bands that all four of us kind of agree on as being, like, the greatest bands ever and stuff like that. Like, usually, I don't know, if three of us like one band, the fourth one will hate them and stuff like that. (laughs) It's only really stuff like, weirdly, System of a Down, Slipknot and Carly Rae Jetson, (laughs) like, the three (laughs) bands that we can all, like, get on board with. But what's more accurate is I think the influences Slipknot had throughout, like, the first two, three albums we now have. So like the death metal stuff they were listening to uh, there's a lot of that has kind of creeped into us through them. If you see what I mean, Mm -hmm. like there's kind of um, there was definitely a lot of techniques that Mick and Jim used that, as I say, when I was younger, it's like, Oh, I have no idea what the hell they're doing. And there's still stuff they do now in some of the older material I mean, you think of the intro to surfacing. I was like, what is he doing? I have no idea what that is. And then you learn, oh, he's tapping and sliding and then doing a pull-off thing, like a trill. And it was just those kind of things. Now that I get them, it was like, oh, okay. I'm starting to like peek behind the curtain a bit and see those guys as the kind of innovators to extreme metal guitar playing. That they are or were like it took me a long time to kind of open that door. I guess.
2: That's uh, It's interesting though. Like so it's the same same pool of in- influences for both bands, but hearing it with an Iowa set of ears produces Slipknot, and hearing it with Warwickshire ears produces Kundra. So yeah. yeah, No, I like that. I like that. That's cool.
0: By the time you were the proud owner of a Slipknot album, they were huge. You know, within yeah. music generally, but specifically within within metal. A massive band, possibly the last huge band. Do you think that getting to that sort of level is now just completely in the past for bands who started five or ten years previous from now?
1: I don't want to agree, but I have to. Like, I just as much as it'd be wonderful for any bands to like even a band like Employed to Serve or something. it be it'd be great to see them get to a point like that. As I'm sure they'd bloody love to, everyone would. I think we're only unsure of that because it's it's just been so long. I mean, I'd probably say the closest thing to it would maybe be, I mean, you consider Parkway Drive's rise at the minute. Like, that's a pretty, you know, they've gone from, you know, being hardcore kids. I mean, they still are, but like, they're like Iron Maiden hardcore kids now. they got the pyro and all the spinning drums and stuff like that. I think... I'm I'm still holding out hope, but there's not that much hope, I guess. It's just, it was a very different time. I mean, Slipknot peaked around the time that the music industry in general peaked, the late 90s, early 2000s. So they were there at the perfect time. And like you say, you're, you're right, they're, they're the last huge, huge band. And they, they still are, obviously, fucking huge. But yeah, it's... It's, it's a bit of a shame, but uh, I probably have to err on the side of, yeah, it's probably not going to happen again. But
0: as I say, I'm still crossing my fingers. Yeah. You you guys seem to pick up fans every time you, you play. You've been on some great tours. Dave and I watched you play with, um, how should we describe Vinny, Dave? Uh, newcomer? A very, very enthusiastic
2: newcomer, yeah.
0: And, and you blew his mind. And that seems to happen around us whenever we see you play. Is that something that, that you feel? Is there a growth that you feel with, with Conjure as you kind of rattle through the years?
1: I mean, it's definitely much easier to see in hindsight. Like when it's happening, you kind of, I don't know, we we didn't really have any idea. It was, it everything kind of happened so quick that you didn't really have time to stop and think about it and process everything. But um, absolutely within the last year or so it's been like oh shit we're we're like an actual band (laughs) sort Mm -hmm. of thing like we would always joke with each other um as we were coming up because obviously we started out and released the ep and stuff and we just gigged and gigged and gigged and gigged and gigged and just played anywhere we could with anyone we could and that was such a kind of i mean it's still chaotic now i mean not right now i'm just everyone's just sat in their rooms right now but like it just before everything was you know the pandemic and everything it it was hectic then but even back in the day when we you know barely had a name at all it was just so hectic with how much we were traveling and gigging and you know, driving home, just trying to keep our eyes open because we're playing like Brighton on a Tuesday night and I got work the next morning and stuff like that. Like, it, if it, it feels like there's been like a few big jumps, there's only really been like two or three times in our quote unquote career that we've been able to stop and go, Holy shit. Like, and one of them was like when just as Maya was being released and we played the black car, that was like, an incredible moment because, the you know, we, the first gig we played in London, we played to maybe 10 people and they were all pretty disinterested. And then, like, the third time we play the Blackheart, it's, like, completely sold out. And I remember me and Brady go on the stage and just being like, every single person here in this room is here to see us. Like, we were, <laughs> that just blew our minds because... For years, obviously playing support slots and being first on and stuff, it's like whoever's there, they're there waiting for the next band or the headliners and stuff. It was like, no, this is the f- like, no one's on after us. Like, these people are choosing to be here. This is really weird. And, like, when people start, you know, when mosh pits started happening and stuff, that was like, are we that kind of band now? Like, people like, like the music enough to move. That's insane. And, like, yeah. That 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 was that was a big point, and then getting on festivals and stuff like Roadburn. That was like, oh my, like, why are we being considered for Roadburn? Like, there, yeah. The, I, I, I won't keep rambling, but yeah, there's there's definitely been a fair few moments when we've gone, holy shit, like we're we're an actual thing. This is really bizarre.
2: This feels like a good point in the interview to uh, to sidestep into our quickfire rounds. This is like. Just some, some very quick fire Slipknot orientated uh, questions. So just we've, we're asking these, we're asking the same questions to all of our guests on these specials. So it's, it's good to build up a picture across the, the set as to who likes what. So let's start with the big one. Um, what's your favourite Slipknot album? Iowa. What about your favourite member and your favourite mask of theirs?
1: Mick Volume 3 era. Mick.
2: Mick's mask. It doesn't really change, does it? <laughs> If you were to have a line or a lyric from Slipknot's back catalogue tattooed to your skin, what would you go for?
1: I reckon I would get, from Spit It Out, I'd get Biggity Biggity Bitch Boy in like the Relentless Energy font across my <laughs> chest.
2: <laughs> Amazing. You should definitely do that. Um, and and lastly, from the quick fire round, what's your all-time favourite Slipknot song? What are you, What are you giving nine out of nine to?
0: I like that. <laughs>
1: uh get this.
0: Great, nice. shout.
2: <laughs> Great.
0: I think we'll be doing that one soon. Excellent. Every time Dave and I go to a gig in Birmingham you seem to be either playing or watching. Uh so <laughs> I assume you've seen Slipknot loads of times. When was when was the first time you got out to see Slipknot and what's your favorite live experience that you've had watching them?
1: Surprisingly I've only seen them I think twice. <laughs> um I've had the opportunity a bunch of times, but um, one of them I'll, I'll say in a bit, and I'm massively ashamed of, <laughs> but the first time was, it was the All Hope Is Gone tour uh, with Children of Bottom and Machine Head Supporting. And that was at the NIA in Birmingham. Uh, yeah, that was the first time. And I enjoyed it, definitely. I mean, I must have been, I was 15 when I saw him. Um, but I wasn't blown away like I thought I would be. And I can't really say why it was. I can barely remember. Uh, I just remember um, part of the gig was kind of stumped a bit because we lost our mate and like we needed to get like the last train home or something. And we came out of the show and we had no idea where he was and he wasn't answering his phone. So, so we missed the last few songs because we were just trying to find him. But um, it was definitely great but it was like i want i thought it was going to be like 10 out of 10 life changing it was like 8 out of 10 they played a lot from the first album and i think because at the time uh, because i went back to iowa and self-titled after volume three and all hope is gone i was kind of like oh this is cool i don't really know these songs as well, <laughs> but um, yeah, that was the first time. Uh, my favourite time seeing them was actually Download 2013, when they had they had like all white boiler suits, and I remember they played Gently, which is was at the time like my favourite Slipknot song. It's basically the song that got me into like post metal and stuff. And um, for whatever reason, I, I enjoyed that set more than the first time I saw them. Uh, I should have seen them at Sonosphere 2011, but I was really tired and went to my tent. And then all <laughs> my mates came back and just went, "You're you're a moron. Why why did you miss that?" I was like, "I'm really tired." And they were like, "That was the greatest thing we've ever seen ever." And like everyone was coming back crying because obviously everything with Paul Gray and they were hugging his suit on stage and stuff. I massively regret that.
2: Yeah, I was there for that one. It was yeah, you dropped a clanger there. It was yeah. it was epic. <laughs> Um, we often talk about cover versions on this podcast when we're doing our, our regular episodes. So naturally, we're going to ask you about your cover of The Million that was on the, the Metal Hammer compilation and on the, the split EP with, with Palm Reader. Um, why that song in particular and how, how did it all come about?
1: So it was a weird one because obviously Metal Hammer asked us to pick a song to do and my first answer was get this (laughs) but um we felt like as wicked as it would be we wouldn't we wouldn't be able to do anything different with it and usually i'm not that chuffed about bands that alter songs that they're covering too much but at the same time i don't like bands that just do a straight up you know note by note they don't add anything to it so with get this it was like yeah we're not really going to do anything to it and plus like I really don't think I'd have been even able to keep up with the pace of Corey's vocals on that. They're insane. Yeah. So that one got chucked out the window and the other ones that were getting thrown about were, um, uh, skin ticket. We were thinking of doing that one. Cause that's pretty creepy and dirgy and horrible, but, um, we weren't, it's not a song that we're all massive on. And then it was like, we could do vermilion. Cause it's like, you know, it's, it's pretty big song. It's a pretty big single of theirs. And it, kind of i don't know it just felt a bit more like we could do something with it because we love the song but there's things about it that we're not not trying to say that we think we could do better but there are just things about the song that we wanted to kind of do our own way and we definitely did that like uh, we changed quite a few things on it but uh yeah, it was it was just a song that we all really really loved, but we felt we could put our own stamp on.
2: And and was, I take it it was important then for you, for you to be able to put your own stamp on. Like you're saying, you don't you didn't just want to do a note for note version, but mm. it, it really does feel like you've you've conjured it up, really? not intended. But <laughs> but uh, when you get asked to do something like like the Metal Hammer compilation, is it is that the sort of thing that artistically you feel bands? ought to try and do and and sort of make it sound like their own as much as it can
1: yeah definitely i mean like it was the same with to switch bands for a minute when we wanted to do the blood and thunder cover i mean that is a much more straight version of that song but there are still little twists and stuff we did with it Mm. like i feel the thing is when when you when you're covering obviously when you're covering a song when you're a band covering a song you're going to cover something that you really really like and Mm. doing that is always a difficult thing it's like well you like this song so much you obviously think it's to a degree perfect how how do you top that you can't top that so it's much better to in my opinion cover a song that you really love but there are things about it that you know when you listen to an album and like there's a song that's really great and you go i'd have maybe done this here like i find that Mm more interesting because you are putting a spin on it at the same time as you know paying homage to the song i i just i don't find straight covers that interesting to be honest
2: and i know i know we are here mainly to talk about slipknot but got to ask I me mean, that that ep was the first sort of in inverted commas new conjure material we've had since uh since the album mm. H- how are things progressing on the next one or can you can you give us any insights into into how things are ticking along
1: I actually can now. Whenever, whenever people had asked before, I was always like, "Yeah, nothing's happening yet. We've got one time. But uh, no, it's um, it's actually coming along really well. It's like it's fairly slow going, but the progress we're making is like it's huge. Like we're really happy with the way things are going. It's not in—I don't want to say it's not in any way like Maya, but there, there are definitely things we're doing that. I mean, whether they turn heads or not, like, not really that fuss. (laughs) Like, we just really like the songs, but we're wondering how people will kind of take to the material. We've got, I think, we're planning to write about eight songs because they're all fucking, like, six, seven minutes long. Um, Planning to get about eight into the studio, whenever that'll be, and we've got four, so... It's going pretty well. Like, I know there are other bands that are a lot quicker with writing their material, but we're all so hard to please that, you know, having four songs in the bag for us is like, oh, my God, we've agreed on four songs together. That's insane. Good.
0: Well, excited, definitely. Very good news. Um, Just to bring it back to Slipknot for the last couple of questions, are you familiar with the most recent record?
1: I am, but as with everyone, I'm nowhere near as familiar with it as uh the previous albums. The first four really are kind of yeah. like the ones I know really well. The last two I don't.
0: Was there anything in there that, that you heard in the singles that that sort of caught your imagination at all?
1: There was bits and bobs. I mean I can't lie, like it is all about the first three albums for me. Um I definitely think We Are Not Your Kind was better than the Grey Chapter. I preferred it to the Grey Chapter. But um it's just, it's not really, it, it, like I say,
0: it's not as much as my bag as
1: the first three albums.
0: So if we take Slipknot in the round, entire career, what is it that made you connect with, with their music as a, a metal fan, an extreme metal fan, and ultimately a musician as well?
1: That's a really good question, because like, obviously they connected with me at a much younger age, an age when... I would not have been able to kind of tell you why I like a band. Um, It was just the most extreme thing I'd heard. But obviously now as you grow up, you hear like quite a lot of extreme metal bands that are just kind of all fury and not much creativity and not much tact. I think that was the thing with Slipknot. Like with volume three, it changed my world so much. Like, I cannot express how much it was like. It just changed me as a person and changed my music taste. It was later on finding out that quite a lot of people were like, oh, Corey's singing on it, and I, there are people that were like, oh, it's not as heavy as the other albums. That was kind of like the first time. It was like, are you mad? Like, why does why does it have to be crushingly heavy? Why does he have to scream all the time? Like, he sings on the first two albums why is this a problem like it kind of bewildered me that people weren't seeing it for the diverse and eclectic album that it was and is and i think being introduced to that kind of variety at a young age it definitely sets you up later on in life like If you kind of, I don't know, (laughs) the first band you listen to is just Napalm Death and you listen to every Napalm Death album since the first one you heard, you're not getting, you know, I'm not slanging them off, I love Napalm Death, but you're not getting a particularly broad spectrum of what is achievable in heavy metal, whereas Slipknot have changed exponentially through the years and especially the, f- the first three albums for me all have very, very distinct tones to them. Like the first one, I always kind of, I put that one on if I want to feel like I'm running away from a serial killer or something because stuff like Tattered and Torn and Prosthetics and Scissors were just like nightmare fodder for me. They were just so terrifying and it was so all out and just unforgiving and raw i mean i had i had the self-titled album on earlier and i i it always surprises me how raw it sounds like from the guitar tone to the drum sound to even the samples and stuff like it's weird because obviously except not with dub new metal for years I, i don't see them in the same kind of vein as you know, limp biscuit and corn and stuff like that. Like I understand why they're put in that vein, but there was just something so visceral about them. And then Iowa amped that up to the nth degree and felt a lot more nihilistic. Like the first album was very serial killer, but it was like, it was clear that it was all quite a fantasy thing. Whereas Iowa, it was like, no, these guys are actually going to kill each other. Um, And then, Get into volume three, it was like the pinnacle of maturing as a band. It was just I see that three album curve as like one of the greatest in music ever. It was so perfect. And then All Hope is Gone. It was kind of like, okay, it's they're retreading old ground. And it's kind of yeah, that that was kind of my my drop-off point, I guess. But yeah, it just how visceral they were, how raw they were how eclectic they could be and going from samples and all these sorts of strange soundscapes that they could do it was just like who who else is doing that who else is scaring the living shit out
0: of me (laughs) there was no one well what a good place to leave it for this episode um dan thank you very much for taking the time to talk to us about slipknot we will be back hopefully with some more of our favourite artists as well. But You Can't Kill Me is produced by this decay and we'll be back before you know it. Cheerio.
1: See ya.